ברוך השם, you're a bad Jew. שלום. You've made it back. Welcome back to Bad Jew, the place where there is no such thing as a bad Jew. Welcome to my Jewish learning podcast. This brand of Jewish learning pushes the envelope. There are many Jewish learning podcasts out there, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for choosing Bad Jew to consume your Jewish content. With me today, we are going to be talking about Takun Olam in this very interesting and unique way. But before we do that, Anna, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing fabulous, and it's now day to me. It's already night. <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's right. Yeah, we, ha- so, we have a little bit of a time difference right now. We, we do. So, you know, here's the thing. I used to be in film school back in the day, right, four years ago. And, God, I'm old now. And what happened was we learned this concept called mise-en-scene. And mise-en-scene is basically the importance of a location to tell a story. And for this specific episode, I was thinking a lot about that because we could have interviewed you anywhere, Anna. But right now, you are hailing from where? Kiev, Ukraine. That's right. So this episode has a lot more context to it now. Now everyone who is listening probably feels a little bit of the power of Takun Olam in this instance. But before we actually talk about that, Anna, you have the right of entry onto this podcast. It is called the Bad Jew Challenge. Telling your life story in four minutes. Are you ready? I'm ready. Born ready. Let's go. Excellent. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Anna Sazanov. I was born in Ukraine back in the days while the Soviet Union was exist. So I lived through the Soviet Union era. Um, after the Soviet Union collapsed, basically, my family decided to make Aliyah to Israel. I didn't know that I'm Jewish. I didn't know Israel exists on the map. The only thing I knew about Israel, that it's a warm place, because my friend asked me to bring him bananas. That's the only thing I knew about Israel. Now, the reason that I didn't grow up in a Jewish household is because my great-grandmother decided to survive and decided to save her family. So she remarried to a non-Jewish fellow after she gave birth to my grandfather, that he was Jewish from both sides. So he was very connected to the government and he knew that the Nazis are coming and a big chaos is going to happen. So he changed the edification of our entire family. So instead of saying that we're Jewish, we were recorded as Ukrainians. So I grew up as the perfect Ukrainian girl and then in the middle of the 90s, we moved to Israel, and I was six years old, made Ilya to Israel, and kind of struggled through, I'll say this way. But lived in Israel, did the whole Israeli gig, high school, military. I was a basic training commander in the military. After that, I got my undergrad degree in business and economics, worked in startups. After working in startups, I felt that there is something bigger in this world, so I resigned, and packed five boxes, two suitcases, and moved to Atlanta, Georgia to become um, the Israel Fellow to Emory Hillel. So I served two years on campus. And after one semester working with college students and at Hillel's setting, I drank the Kool-Aid with everything to do with the nonprofit Jewish world. And I decided to stay in that field. And I moved to Boston to got to get my uh, degree, my master's degree um, at Brandeis University, part of the Hornstein program. So I got my master's in Jewish leadership and MBA nonprofit management, started my own nonprofit during my time in Boston that's called Juber. It's a combo between Jewish and Uber. So we delivered uh, 
Jewish, Jewish, we deliver kosher meals to Jewish medical professionals and then low-income seniors and Holocaust survivors during the COVID era when everybody were terrified at home. Us and another 100 volunteers um, schlepped around Boston region to make sure that people have food. After I finished my two years in Boston, I got a job in Columbia, South Carolina. I was one of the youngest executive directors of Federation, so I led the local federations there. Um, and then Ukraine started, the war in Ukraine started, and because I'm Ukrainian, because my family is still here, I decided to do whatever I can to make a difference in people's life, and that's what led me to serve on the border of Ukraine uh, in Poland, and then to be in Ukraine, and now currently to be in Ukraine. And I have another minute to share with you a lot of information about myself, but I don't want to kind of like share everything because we're going to talk more about this. But yes, I'm right now in Ukraine. Um, I arrived here almost a month ago. No, a little bit less than a month ago. Um, I've been around. I've been visiting my family. My parents are here. My parents moved back to Ukraine. So they currently live where I was born in Berezne. So that's on the northwestern part of Ukraine. So I live my life in two locations, one in the U.S., or three locations, one in the U.S., Israel, and here. So that makes my life very interesting, and I have to be updated, everything that's happening. Um, yeah, so currently I'm in Kiev, been to East Ukraine last week, heading south in a few days, and that's what I'm doing, providing humanitarian aid to the people that are in need with an organization called Ukrainian Patriot. But we'll talk more about it in a second or in a few, in one second. Go. Boom. Look Yay. at that. Look at that. You used up your time very, very beautifully. And she glossed over it very, very briefly. But everyone, please, please, please donate to Ukrainian Patriot at ukrainianpatriot.org. We're not hearing so much about Ukraine in the news today because people are kind of treating it like old news. And let's face it, the U the United States news system, broadcasting system out here sucks because it's more about getting attention than passing on accurate information. So um, please do donate to the Ukrainian Patriot uh, organization. The situation is still very real. People are still suffering over there in the Ukraine. Your money goes to people like Anna to help others out there. We're going to be talking about the way that Anna has been able to help people. But my question to you, Anna, that's what people are here to learn on this podcast. Can Jews truly repair the world? One step at a time. We do. We do it all the time. And I think this is our mission in life. This is one of the biggest values that um, we follow. This is one of the values that I follow that I decided to to kind of to, to keep with me and be the, the light to what I do in my life. Um, God gave us kind of the mission to do that because the world right now is crazy and there's so many problems. And to be honest with you, sometimes I would with everything that happened right now in Israel and there is chaos all over the world, I becoming anxious. Like, do I do enough? Is there anything else I can do? Should I put my focus on something else? Because, you know, there is a big war happening right now in Ukraine, the biggest war after World War II, and there's a lot of things to be done here and a lot of lives to save. And there is also a lot of chaos in the, in the States and a lot of chaos in Israel. So, yeah, 
we all obligate to do something. And by we all, I, I, I know that you're speaking to Jews here. This is a Jewish learning podcast. However, you know, this is still applicable to, you know, non-Jews as well, that a non-Jew technically can practice tikkun olam. What I'm wondering is, Anna, because we grew up, well, you eventually grew up after you're hearing your life story. We eventually grew up learning about how we are supposed to be a light unto nations, right? And how we have this mission of tikkun olam in our life. Did you ever feel an extra added pressure? Yes. <laughs> just for I being for, Jewish? Just for being Jewish. But it's not because the, you know, the outside community is making us feel this way. I think we do it on our own. We always remind ourselves every Friday, Kabbalah Shabbat, we always remind ourselves that this is our task. This is what we have to do. So kind of like we put ourselves in the stress. Like, you know, the, the, there is a phrasing that I, I, I always use as well. It's not on us to finish the work, but we're required to start somewhere. And we're required to start somewhere. Wow. And this is a daily reminder, weekly reminder that we have. So, yes, it's a lot of pressure. It's a wow. lot of pressure that we put up on ourselves. The majority of the world doesn't know that we have this obligation to the world to be the light to the nation. No, we know that. And that's great that only we know that. And now it's our responsibility to do, to start, to create, to fix, to repair. God, can you imagine if people started calling us up and saying, hey, how come you're not doing your job, right? Can you imagine if uh, more people caught on to the fact that we need to be doing tikkun olam? And they were like hitting us up as if we are the Uber drivers of fixing problems where they could just summon us with an app. Can you yeah. imagine that? That'd be insane, right? But what I found really interesting, um, the JCPA did an article on the origins of Tikkun Olam. I actually didn't know this, but Tikkun Olam actually didn't come from the traditional Torah. It actually came from the Talmud. It came from Mishnah Gitin 4.1-5.3. According to Moore, the earliest appearance of the term Olam refers to Jewish culture and civilization rather than to either universal humankind or to the natural world. It is linked here to the commandment, be fruitful and multiply, Genesis 1.28, within the context of established Jewish legal norms. Based upon the assumption of that a society and a culture, in this case, Jewish society, law and culture depends upon the traditional nuclear family for social stability and for the continuity of Jewish life and civilization. So as you read this, what you actually find, it's actually less about the origins of this. It's less about repairing the world and it's actually more about repairing a marriage or keeping it safe and making sure that people's marriages stay intact. So I find that really fascinating. But over time, that phrase Dukun Olam has changed and adapted quite dramatically. Tikkun Olam is later on mentioned in the prayer known as Alenu. And what I also found is that the modern day, just to show you how many iterations of Tikkun Olam has been there, only until modern day, because of the conservative and reconstructionist movements in the 60s and 70s, there were educators interested in offering young idealist Jewish lens through which we see the political and social activism. And it only was then that we actually started to see Tikkun Olam the Vietnam War is one of the earliest examples of people using Tikkun Olam to, pat, to carry on an agenda. So I thought that was very interesting. And I was wondering if you could relate that to your experiences in the Ukraine. I think 
the war in Ukraine was a, a calling for all of us. When the war started, I served as executive director of Columbia Jewish Federation. And as a leader of an organization, as a leader of the community, you really put up into a mission and kind of everybody look at you. What are we going to do? How are we going to help? And whenever there is a crisis in the world, you see more flags of Israel, more stars of David everywhere you go. So when the war started, Jewish Federation of North America started to raise a lot of money to support our partner organizations on the ground. So the part of the partner organization are the Jewish Aid for Israel, the JDC, that were looking for more help. Because, you know, send money, it's one thing. But there's thousands of people that are crossing the border and they don't know what to do and they need help. So we created a volunteer mission to the border. So professionals from North America that speak the language, Ukrainian or Russian, were flying to, to Poland to serve on the ground. So I spent two weeks on the border, day in, day out, waking up in the morning, doesn't matter. It was spring. So there was snow days and there was sunny days and there was rain days. And doesn't matter what day it is, we were there, welcoming refugees, welcoming them. And I was welcoming them in their own native language. And the beauty about that place that you look around and it, kind of like feel like uh, Woodstock a little bit because you have tents everywhere. It looks like a festival. <laughs> like every tent gives something else, different service to the refugees. And you have flags from all over the world. But the major flag that you see flying around is the flag of Israel. The major language that you hear is Hebrew. And that was mind-blowing. Wow. It was in Poland that 80 years ago, Jews were experiencing a very different experience there. On a Polish soil, you have more flags of Israel than any other flag. And that's basically was a pure example to the fact that we not even think about us if we're serving the value of Tikkun Olam or not. We're automatically doing that. This is something that was embedded in our culture, in our history, to just get up and do. It's wild. It's wild. And that, that's actually so empowering to think about how, like you said, 80 years ago, we had just come out of the Holocaust. We arguably had one of the worst mass murders. We, were the, we, are the, we are the victims of one of the worst mass murders in the history of humankind. But then we bounce back, not even a century later, and we're here helping others in their terrible experiences despite that. It's pretty yes. incredible. And it's, um, it's not only this. Like, for example, in Israel, we have a, a, a rescue unit Whenever there is a disaster around the world, they're the, the first one to send their teams. Right. We even like help Syria and Syria yeah. is our enemy. And we help Syrians to cross the border and to give them medical assistance. Because immediately, this is what we do. This is the values that we internally serve. Right. It's incredible. I, going back to Ukraine, what I also find amazing is that, again, not even a century ago, there was the Holocaust. And then not even 100 years later, Zelensky, Vladimir Zelensky, he's the son of a Holocaust survivor. I just want to put that out there as well as uh, two Holocaust survivors, if I, if I, if I remember correctly, right? It, his grandfather was one of four, and he's the only one that survived. Insane, insane. And when you leave the camps, when you, when you, if, if just putting yourself in those shoes, you wouldn't imagine that your grandson would be a future world leader. It's just mind blowing to me. Yeah. I call but, it, I call him the modern Maccabee. The modern Maccabee. There we go. I like yeah. that. I like that a lot. In terms of your work personally with Ukrainian Patriot, 
you let's go through some of the pictures here that you have here. I mean, I, I, would, I would love it if you spoke with us. Also, for those who are listening on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, I highly recommend you go to the YouTube channel, look at some of these pictures here. But, you know, we have here this photo of you. And it looks like some kind of a mortar team. What, what's yep. the story here? Uh, what's the story here? So that was taken like a few weeks ago. I cannot exactly say the date. I want to keep everybody safe. So part one of the pillars that Ukrainian Patriot is serving. So we have five pillars of our work, humanitarian aid, medical supply, protective gear, uh, PTSD treatment and rebuilding Ukraine. So protecting gear, we basically support different military units that don't have access to different you know, this case is is generator. Some need tourniquets. Some need uh, eye facts and more medical supplies. Some need radios in order to continue fighting. Because until they will get some equipment from the military or other units, it's going to be too late. So they're relying on our services. Basically, we're doing a vetting process with every organization, community unit that we go to, because we want to ensure that the money and the equipment go to the right need and to the right people. So we got um, to their kind of like temporary base. So they going back and forth to the trenches. That was very close to the front lines around um, um, Donetsk area. Uh, Very close. You hear the explosives and the shooting, the constant shooting. There is no reception in that area. So we all downloaded Google Maps and that was the only way for us to navigate and to get to them. And we spend about um, an hour sitting and talking with them and kind of understanding how life right now at the war, what they need, what they don't need. And one of the things that they emphasize that there is a big problem with PTSD because Compared to Israel, again, Israel, it's a PTSD country, I will call it. We always go through constant war, like we all suffer from PTSD. We all have services out there to help us treat it. But Ukraine is not this way. Ukraine, its colors is blue and yellow. The blue symbolize the skies and peace, and the uh, yellow symbolize the fields and the grain that is going growing there. Um, they never experienced such a war. They don't know how to provide PTSD treatment, especially to to military units. And that's a growing problem right now in Ukraine. So the person in the cap, um, that's Alex Druki. He is a U.S. veteran that went to Ukraine to fight, and he was captured by the Russians. And he spent, he was a POW, prisoner of war. He spent over 100 days at Russian prison. And he returned to Ukraine and he joined our mission and our team and he provided security and also, you know, interacted with the community. And he was able to kind of talk with them on their level and give them some advice how to deal with life right now during a wartime. And, and he is not Jewish, right? He's not Jewish. No. But again, he's an Alam. American, American from, from Alabama. Right, right. Uh, so once again, an example of, how Takuna Alam is not just for Jews as well. Uh, if we go to this next photo here, uh, this is a photo of you. It looks like some kind of correspondence team, some kind of camera team and a yeah. family. What are we looking at here? Um, we made a civilian drop. So basically we providing uh, we provided bags of food. So each bag contained enough food for a family of four for a week. And the wow. community was so moved and grateful for what we did. So they invited us for tea. So the woman in yellow, that's her apartment. She doesn't have anything in this apartment. She's a lonely, elderly, doesn't have much, but um, Ukrainians are welcoming 
they're very welcoming. So if you will go and be their guests, first of all, they will force you to eat and drink. And even if they don't have anything, they will do everything in their power and will to get whatever they can to put the food, snacks, tea, coffee on the table. So wow. they insisted to invite us. So we have um, the community member there and our team. Our team is kind of a combination of international people. So we have somebody from Australia, Portugal, the U.S., uh, Canada. Um, and we also were escorted by ABC News Channel um, that uh, filmed the whole thing and also filmed what we're doing on the ground. And that was kind of like a magical moment to bring everybody together. Beautiful. And, uh, the community was very moved by the fact there is so many international people that come and serve and help and do not forget Ukraine. That really gives them hope and energy to continue fighting. Beautiful. Um, moving on, I see here there's a picture of you with a team and an ambulance behind you. Um, is this a donated ambulance? What's the story here? So that's in Poland. Um, the woman in pink, her name is Tanya, and she reached out to our organization, so the Jewish Agency for Israel and the JDC, and asked our help to get her mother from East Ukraine and to cross the border and to bring her to Israel. Her um, her mother cannot, her mother's name is Nadezhda. Nadezhda, when you translate it, it's hope. Wow. Yeah, so that's very symbolic. Um, her mom is paralyzed and she's not able to move. And basically, we all teamed up. So all the organizations came together and kind of made a plan how to get her mother from East Ukraine across the border. And again, it's a wartime. That's in March of 2022. Um, so missiles flying. The Russians are heading into major cities it's super dangerous it's 50 50 chance if you're going to survive the evacuation or not but we were able again the values of tikkun olam the values of klal israel that brought us all together to work as a team to make her cross the border and thanks to all the people involved nadezhda and tanya celebrate passover in israel wow that, like a few hours after this picture was taken she was already on her way uh to uh passover dinner yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. This next photo here warms my heart. A photo of you with children. Uh, and it looks like you guys are doing some kind of like finger painting. What's going on here? That's in the hotel in Warsaw. Uh, so refugees that are waiting or in a process to make Aliyah to Israel, to move to Israel. They're going to this hotel. It's a very nice hotel. So they have the ability to kind of relax after they've seen all the chaos after they've been through all of this so they spend as much as needed in the hotel they're not paying for anything and the consulate is there the consulate of israel is there to kind of like um, work on the process of making aliyah and the kids are bored so one of the things as volunteers that we did is just to play with the kids and to have fun with them and kind of put a smile on their face wow. and every once in a while i, I got very close to, to the kids um Every once in a while, one of them will say, my father is fighting right now. My, grandf my, my uncle is fighting right now. I'm not sure I'm going to see my, my father again. And like you hear it from children. And I don't think that children anywhere around the world should experience this and should think about this. Yeah, It's not their fault. Every child should grow up with their father. Another thing that really marked me by this specific slide, this is in Warsaw. Again, not even a century ago, Holocaust having happened. Warsaw was once placed, was, was, was once marked by the fact that they have one of the largest ghettos, Jewish ghettos 
Yeah. And I will, I will add to that in 2022, in the pa in Passover 2022, we were celebrating Passover with over 100 refugees, Ukrainian refugees at this hotel all together. And that was so powerful. Wow. I think it was uh, uh, also, I don't remember the, 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 the number, but an anniversary for um, something major that happened in Poland for the Jewish community. It was, it was synced, it was at the same day. And it was wow. so powerful to see everybody coming together as a community. For some of them, for some of the Ukrainian refugees, it was the first time ever that they experienced Passover, that they experienced coming together as a community because or they weren't allowed or they didn't have the ability to even connect with their roots. The same thing is about my family that we had to hide our Jewish identity and we allow them and give them the tools to do that and, and the comfort to do that. And literally to come from to come to freedom, that was a big deal. They crossed the border to freedom. That was very symbolic moment. Wow. Wow. And I'm taking it off the slideshow for a second because... It's a little hard to see with the video quality. I do my best to have the best in camera, but I'm a little bit teary-eyed right now. It's just, it's really beautiful. It's very powerful stuff that you're sharing here. Um, there's so many different photos. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to one more photo here. And there's a reason why I'm choosing this specific photo to, to, to you know, fixate on for a second. But here is this photo. You're in full Kevlar suit. And it looks like you have uh, ear protection there as well in case of the large bangings that's indicative of the fact that you're pretty close to the front lines in this photo is that correct that's about a mile a mile from the front lines yeah i i jog a mile every day in less than nine minutes so you're a nine minute jog from the war zone there and who's this yeah. woman here uh nine nine minutes jog from the russians from an active fire um this woman is part of the community it's a village around the izum area so interesting story about this um that picture was taken in my last visit to ukraine i went in the past high holidays to visit my family only to visit my family my parents moved back to ukraine so i want to make sure that they're okay and then i rented a car and i drove to kiev uh, and i asked on one of the volunteer groups if somebody needs a ride and somebody from hawaii like took the offer and joined my ride to Kiev. And we started talking, what are you doing here? What do you be involved with? Blah, blah, blah. And then he was sharing with me about the organization that he was uh, partnering with and what he was doing. Um, and in the next day he texted me in the morning, asked me if I want to join him to East Ukraine. I'm like, sure, what do I have to lose? My life, let's go. Um, <laughs> so I joined the mission. Um, and I was the only Ukrainian speaking in this team. We had security team as well. And we went to an area that was just liberated. So 24 hours before our arrival, there was still Russian there. We were one of the first humanitarian aid groups being on the ground. And we provided food bags and uh, whatever they need, some connection, hope hugs as well and this lady came to to receive the food bag and she started talking with me and i could not hug her and kind of be empowered and inspired by her she was living under russian occupation for seven months she was disconnected the entire community was disconnected from water power connection to the world they didn't know that ukraine still exists and was still fighting in the community and the international communities helping them and you know, suddenly she see international volunteers and somebody that speaks Ukrainian coming to, to her and provide her aid and help and hope. 
and yeah, that that was that was wild experience. This experience, that visit in this community, changed my life basically. Um, wow. wow! I don't know if we're going to show more pictures or I can elaborate more about that moment. So in that visit in in that that village basically in the Zoom area, we also evacuated a family with us. So a mom with two kids, six and eight, and we told her, no problem. We're going to take you to Kiev area. You got it. So we also asked her if the Russian left some gifts behind them. And she's like, yes, you should check the school. By gifts, so had, do you mean like like mines? Like, do you mean like actually? Oh, like... the entire area was minded. The entire area. The instruction that we got from the security team, do not step where you cannot see. Don't go anywhere on the grass. And every time I had to go to use the nature bathroom, I had the security team basically making sure that there is no explosive there so I can use that small square. So when the team arrived, the security team arrived to the school, um, the entire school was full with booby traps, mines, explosives, school. A school that kids potentially will go back to. Um, so we did what we can do to make sure that nobody will be uh, under danger. And then we went to um, the lady's house that we about to evacuate. Um, and we're waiting there. It was already dark. And we're waiting. We gave her 30 minutes to get ready. Because imagine you have 30 minutes to pack whatever you need to evacuate an area. And you're not sure if you're going to go back home. 30 minutes. Go. Pack. Wh whatever you can. So we gave her this time. We're waiting outside. Four cars very looking very humanitarian aid cars and at a certain point the security team kind of okay everybody helmets on earplugs on and find a place that you're going to jump to and make sure there's no mines there or explosives and that's that's that was a moment that i'm kind of like oh my god the adrenaline rush is insane and also like can you you, you're making peace with the fact that you might die. But the family comes out. We put them in the car. So a mom with two kids, six and eight. I'm hugging the kid. I'm with the bulletproof vest, helmet, everything. Ready, ready for like the missile to hit our cars. Because the Russians were targeting humanitarian aid cars because they know that we provide aid. So they just want to blow us up. And I'm praying, sharing Shmaisrael the entire time. And my head praying to God, to whoever, just making sure that I'm going to survive this moment. But even if I would die in that moment, I'll be very happy and I'll be very pleased because I would do that by while I'm doing something good to the world and while I'm helping somebody else and while I'm helping different communities. I prefer to die this way than other ways. Die by helping others, I guess. Um, and after this experience, I flew back to the U.S. and I gave a talk. It was a very surreal moment. Um, I flew directly to Orlando to give a talk in a big financial group event, whatever they have. A, they had, a, yeah, very fancy conference. And I was sitting outside, sipping Chardonnay, kind of enjoying the, the heat, uh, the nice weather in Orlando. And at the same time, drones were flying above Kiev and destroying the entire power infrastructure and kind of hitting all the places that I visit just a few days before that. And that was a very surreal moment that I asked myself, 
what am I doing? What am I doing next? Because also the people that I went to, to that mission, none of them was Ukrainian. I was the only Ukrainian. And when I asked one of them, why are you here? Why you do what you do? Why are you risking your life to do this? He shared with me that after World War II, many people felt that they didn't do enough. And he didn't want to have this feeling. I'm a granddaughter of a Holocaust survivor. I'm Jewish who believes in Tikkun Olam value. To hear that, that was kind of like a waking call for me and kind of push to do what I'm doing today. So I came back to Colombia, resigned from my job, and decided to dedicate my three T's, time, talent, and treasure, towards Ukraine. And that's what I do. So I'm still a resident of the U.S., but I'm flying back and forth. And now I'm here for a few months to work with the team on the ground and to do what's right, to do what's right for me in this moment. Wow. Well, it is not difficult to empathize with what's going on, to really feel to your core what you are describing. You've come here today with one of the most powerful messages, not just because of how important Takun Olam is, but you've talked about the spirit of the Jewish people. You've also come here and spoken about something more relevant than most people are comfortable with admitting. The Russo-Ukrainian War is the largest war that we've experienced since World War II. You have places that were impacted by World War II and the Holocaust that are now have a new sense of life in them. And your work as a volunteer is the equivalent of a soldier. You were on the front lines and you are helping civilians and also military units get the support they need to withstand this war, to let light overcome darkness. And it's incredibly powerful. And you can imagine, you can bet that we at Bad Jew and the Bad Jew community are going to donate to this cause, the Ukrainian Patriot. So please, for those who are listening, please donate. Go to the little banner at the bottom. Go to the description below. Donate ukrainianpatriot.org. Even if it's something as small as a lunch. The average lunch nowadays in the U.S. costs about $20. You can spare your $20. And if you want to put some gematria into it, please donate $18. Please donate $180. Please donate $360. Whatever you have, please. These I'll people. just put it again in numbers, by the way. And thank you yeah. so much. Um, just for, you know, kind of like a reference or, or, or put it all there. Uh, Ukrainian Patriot is a 501c3 in the US. So it's also tax deductible. I don't know if it's, it's important for people, but yes, yep. just put it out there. And just to give you an example, a bag of food that we deliver to people is enough food for a family of four for a week. It costs $40. Wow. Yeah, skip two lunches and feed a family of four for a week. Okay. So one American dollar goes a long, long, long way in Ukraine. So every dollar counts and it can make a huge difference on the ground. Who listening has two lunches to spare? I know I do at the very least. So please do support Anna, support Ukrainian patriots, support the Ukraine, support Zelensky in fighting against evil, fighting against Putin and overcoming this terrible, terrible massacre. Anna, thank you again so much for being here on the podcast, for sharing your experiences with Takuna Olam, your amazing history of service that you provided to this world. The world is better with you in it. You've left it. You'll be leaving it better than you found it. And uh, God bless you. Seriously. Thank you. This is huge. Thank you for having me.
And for those who are listening, please do subscribe to the podcast. Please do give us a support. If you want to be a part of the Bad Jew WhatsApp community, they are the ones who ask this question initially. All of your questions in that community is a safe space to ask, and they all eventually become episodes. Please do subscribe. And with that, we'll see you next time. Shalom. Sure.